you know that Easter is the Super Bowl Sunday of the church. You get it, right? I mean, that's just what it is, right? If you're a football fan, you look forward to Super Bowl Sunday all year long, don't you? Some of you, I know you do. And uh, the same is true for the church. We look forward to the day where we can gather together after Good Friday and come together and worship our Savior. We call it Resurrection Day. And we want to welcome you to Resurrection Day, the day that puts vitality and hope into our faith. Amen? Amen. Because he lives, we will also live. Wow. That's what God's Word says. That's the truth behind it. But you know, on the day that Jesus died, on on that uh, Friday we call Good Friday, and my, my son and I, we were talking about that. He's saying, Dad, why is it Good Friday? And I was sharing with him, it's because of what Jesus did and what He provided for us is why we call it Good Friday. But that day, on its own, Jesus knew that He was going to raise from the dead. God knew that. But the rest of His disciples, the rest of His followers, can you imagine what that day might have felt like? After the week that they had leading up to it, Jesus' last week of his life was unbelievable. And for the disciples, when he's there on the cross and he gives up his last breath, I can only imagine them saying, this is it? Do we pack our bags and go home? It was a good run. It was fun while it lasted. I don't know. Can you imagine the disciples looking at Jesus thinking, man, what just happened? We thought he was the Savior. And if you look over that week of the Passion, the triumphal entry, which they celebrated, Hosanna and palm branches on the, uh, just being waved and just a a sign of revolt, really saying, hey, our king is here. Then to the Last Supper, then to that prayer in the garden, and then six illegal trials all at night, one before Aeneas, the high priest of the Jews, then to Caiaphas, then to the Sanhedrin, then to Pilate, then to Herod, who was the governor, back to Pilate, and then they crucified Jesus, nailed him to a cross, and we call it Good Friday. And after publicly being humiliated, after a crown of thorns placed on his head, after the most painful and torturous death, Jesus said in John 19.30, he said, it is finished. And it wasn't finished that, hey, I'm done But it's finished. The work that Jesus came to do was done. And then he bowed his head. He gave up his spirit. And for those that were standing around, I can't imagine. They had to have thought, is this it? Do we pack our bags? Is the game over? Do we wait till next year? And we know that the story doesn't end there. We know because we're here today even celebrating that the passion is only part of the greatest story ever told. And I was thinking about it this week and as we were preparing and and asking God to just meet us here this morning, this is the 10th Easter message that I've shared from this pulpit. And what a privilege it is to be able to do that. And some of you may be saying, is there anything left to say? Is there anything left to communicate? And oh, yes, there is. There's a word for us this morning. And we are here to celebrate the risen Savior, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And and we want to look at the resurrection and say, did it really happen? And I want to kind of give you some proof that the resurrection is a reliable fact that we can believe in and have faith in. I want you to turn with me to Acts. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 3. We're going to start here. We're going to look at a few, sc- few scriptures here that are going to strengthen our faith. Whether this is the first time you've heard the message that Jesus came and rose from the grave, or you've heard it all your life, I believe you're going to walk out today with a new passion, a new understanding, a new revelation. And it starts here with the, rev- with the resurrection of Jesus. Look what it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. It says, After his suffering... You could put in there, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after his suffering, he showed himself, Jesus showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of days and spoke about the kingdom of God. We see here that after Jesus rose from the grave and after he ascended into heaven, he appeared to his disciples. It was not just a one shot, here, surprise, I'm here, and never to be seen again. It wasn't some sort of psychological vision or dream. It says here that there were many convincing proofs. In Paul's writing of the resurrection, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can turn there with me, we see that, we, we know that Paul identifies this. We're going to read a few of these verses, starting in verse 1. It says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach... Um, if you hold firmly to the word I preach. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And then he goes on, he says, For what I received, I have passed on to you for the first importance, that Christ died. Here's the story, the greatest story ever told. That Christ died for our sins, according to Scripture. That he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to Scripture. And that he appeared to Peter, and you might want to underline Peter. We're going to come back and talk about that. And then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at, a, at the same time, most of whom are still living, although some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And that's certainly talking about Paul on the road uh, to Damascus, and the Lord met him there in a shining light, and it's incredible. Listen, church, our credibility as a church and our credibility as Christ followers rises and falls on the truth of the resurrection. That's how important it is, and it's true. Historians say that half of the city of Jerusalem, within the first 20 years after Jesus went to be in heaven, over half of the population, a quarter of a million people, so that's between 100 and 125,000 people believed and put their faith in Jesus. That doesn't just happen. It was miraculous. You say, why would they put their faith in Jesus? It's because they saw him. They said, hey, isn't that the guy on the cross? He's back, right? They said, hey, we know that guy. He was nailed to the cross, but now He's walking and talking. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Again, Paul, he identifies this. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel. The gospel he promised beforehand through his prophet in the Holy Spirit, Holy Scripture. Verse 3, regarding his son. Now here it is, regarding Jesus, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with 
power to be the Son of God. Paul's identifying that God is the Son of God. How do we know that? It's by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ is our Lord. I want you to say that with me. Jesus Christ is our Lord. It's a fact. It was declared that He's the Son of God through the resurrection. It's the resurrection that gives the validity. The power of the resurrection is what we still put our hope in. It's not a pipe dream. It's not something we've just imagined and we gather together uh, with a dream. No, it is the resurrection that gives us the ability to face our problems, our struggles in our lives. It's Jesus Christ that makes the difference in you and in me. That's the point today, to pause for a moment and to identify at every single one of us that are here today, it's Jesus Christ that makes the difference in our lives. By being raised from the dead, Jesus proved that he was the mighty Son of God, and it changed everything. It caused the disciples to be radically changed. A group, a motley crew of disciples changed and gave their lives for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the message. And today, I want to look at the resurrection, uh, the reality of the resurrection through the eyes of one of those disciples. And you may have guessed, I paused there in 1 Corinthians. I want to look at the transformed life by the power of the resurrection of Peter, the Apostle Peter, not our Pastor Pete. Sorry, Pastor Pete. Although this week he was hoping that I was going to talk about him this morning. So I had to mention him. That's two times, one for the jacket, one for the apostle. Okay, but we're going to look at Peter. We're going to look at Peter's life before the crucifixion, at the crucifixion, and then post-resurrection. What happened to Peter? Because his transformation is incredible, and it gives us hope that we, wherever we are on our journey, we can be transformed in a similar fashion. It's, it was not unique to Peter. It was, it's for all of us to see that. So Peter, when we look at Peter and we look at his life, it, one commentator said he was the reed turned into a rock. And if you can imagine that, you have a reed that kind of sways in the wind, right? It's easily breakable. It's a throwaway, right? It can be burned, right? changed into a rock, a foundation, something solid, something you could build with. And that's what Peter's life was. It was changed from a reed to a rock. Because Peter, if you've studied him or you've been in church, you know that he was naturally impulsive. He's the guy that said, Jesus, that's you. I'm going to step out on the water, right? He's the only one that had that kind of guts to do that. If you read through the Gospels, you know that Peter was tenderhearted and affectionate. But then, on the other side, he was full of these strange contradictions. At times, he was presumptuous and kind of bold. At other times, he was more timid and actually cowardly. At times, he was self-sacrificing, and he would give, him, give of himself. Yet, there were other times he was inclined to be self-seeking and looking inward and only protecting himself. Peter was gifted with spiritual insight. But then he was slow to apprehend some deeper truth. We saw that, and he had to kind of uh, come along. Peter made two incredible 
confessions of faith. And I want to look at those because he was the first one to acknowledge who Jesus was. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 16 first. In verses 13 through 20, which we won't read all of those, it's really Peter's confession of Christ. And Jesus is asking, who do people say that I am? And, uh, and they, they kind of the disciples answer, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, uh, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And Jesus comes back and says, well, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who stands up and says this. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's the first one to acknowledge that. In John chapter 6, we see a similar story where the disciples are turning away. They're walking away. And uh, Jesus says to, to the disciples, says, look, are you going to turn away as well? Are you going to walk away because the, the message was too hard or the, the burden was too much to carry? And Peter is the one that stood up and answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Verse 69, we believe and we know that you are the Holy one of God. And so Peter was the one that acknowledged that first. Incredible. Acknowledge it to the point that he was willing to die for Jesus. He said, look, I'm going to stand with you. And he stood with Jesus in the garden of uh, Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22, verse 33. When the soldiers came to take him, it was Peter who took out the sword and wanted to fight, took the ear off of one of the soldiers. Of course, Jesus restored that immediately. But what's interesting about Peter is he was fighting at one point, and then in the next moment, John chapter 18, verses 15 through 18, and then 25 through 27, not once, not twice, but three times, he denies Jesus. He's hiding behind the fire, behind a facade, and then Jesus dies. Can you imagine? I mean, for the disciples, for all of the disciples, it must have been horrible, but especially for Peter, the one that said, I will fight, I will stand, and then he's hiding. He had to have thought his chances were, were done. His chances were shot, especially for Peter. I believe his mind must have been blown, saying, man, what in the world just happened? Why didn't I just stand? And just saying, hey, what in the world? Is this, is, was it even the truth? But it was after the resurrection that Peter his story was not done. 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus appeared to Peter and then the 12 disciples. Jesus sought Peter out, and he sought you out, and he sought you out, and you out, and he sought me out, and he does the same thing, and he doesn't give up on us. Turn with me to John chapter 21, because what we see here is that Jesus restored. He reinstated Peter into the service. If Peter thought even for a second that he was disqualified, that he shouldn't be serving, that he, that he had no reason to go on, at this moment, Jesus comes alongside of him, and listen what he says. He says, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord. Number one. I love, you know that I love you. Everyone say, first time. Then Jesus said, well, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Second time. He answered, yes, Lord. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. A third time, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? At this point, Peter is not understanding. He was hurt because Jesus had asked him, do you love me? Three times. And he said, Lord, you know all these things. You know that I love you. Third time. 
in between services, uh, one of the saints of the church, uh, one of the uh, widows came up to me and said, do you realize, and I, and I did, but it was good to re- recognize, Peter had denied Jesus, not once, not twice, not three times, and then Jesus asked him three times, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me? And I think there's something special about that, that God, he knew that there might be days that Peter would doubt. But Peter came alongside, Jesus came alongside Peter and walked with him. And then it says, Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were young, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you will be stretched out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would be glorified or would glorify God, I'm sorry. Then he said to him, follow me. And what's interesting, those two words, follow me, from that moment forward, God did a miraculous thing in Peter's life. He said, follow me. The resurrection through Peter's eyes turned Peter, who was a reed, into the rock, courageous and immovable. And it is an incredible story. The resurrection through Peter's eyes changed everything. Where Peter was hiding and struggling, now Peter was in charge of the disciples. He was keeping them together. In Acts chapter 1, in fact, I want you to turn with me there, back to Acts chapter 1. It says in verse 15 that Peter stood up among the believers. Where he was shy and where he was perhaps Uh, uh, worried about his testimony. Now Peter stood up and was gathering the 120. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 verse 14, it says again that Peter stood up and raised his voice and addressed the crowds. Where Peter was hiding before, now he is describing who Jesus is. It's incredible. There was a transformation in Peter's life. By the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 37 through 31, we read that 3,000 people were saved, convinced by Peter and really the power of the Holy Spirit through Peter's life. We are looking this morning at a transformed life. We saw that in Peter's life, uh, through the first half of Acts, through chapter 12, I think, it chronicles Peter's life, that there was healings, and there was, uh, there was uh, persecution, but he rose above that. He was in prison, but he was the one that walked away scot-free without being touched. He was also there when Ananias and Sapphira were, were burned up, and he watched the miracle of the hand of God. God used Peter in an incredible way. Jesus came and gave Peter the vision also for the Jews and the Gentiles that everyone could be saved. It was Peter who Jesus revealed that truth to. Isn't that incredible? Aren't you glad that he did that? I mean, we're, most of us are probably Gentiles here, right? We're probably not a lot of Jews here. But listen, Peter's life was transformed. That's the point. All of his inconsistencies were now transformed. All of his fear, he's now transformed. All of his failures, now transformed. His eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection 
transformed him, gave him boldness, gave him power, gave him a heart for the lost, for the Jews and the Gentiles. And Peter, essentially, as I studied that this week and looked over his life, you see a Peter that was young, and now he is growing in his faith. I saw here, and I wrote in my notes, Peter grew up. He grew up. The resurrection gave Peter purpose. And now he had something to live for, and he had ultimately something to die for. In John chapter 21, verse 18, we read it, says that at the end of his life, that he would be, there would be people controlling his life where he didn't want to go. And it talks about his arms being stretched out. It was a foreshadow that Peter was one of the disciples that was crucified in a similar fashion to Jesus. But did you know when he was being crucified, he said, look, I am not even worthy to, to die in the same way that my Savior died. And they turned his cross upside down. He was crucified upside down for his faith. Incredible. Peter was transformed. The resurrection changed everything. And it wasn't just Peter, all the disciples. There's only one disciple that was not martyred for their faith, according to history. The disciples were changed. They were transformed. And for Peter, late in his life, after being disciplined by years of suffering and trial and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, he really did become the rock. He became a rock. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wrote First and Second Peter, a letter to the body of Christ, to Jews and to Gentiles. It was a message of hope and encouragement giving instruction, some admonishment. And I want to look, and I, as our time uh, on Easter Sunday here, I want to look at what Peter wrote late in his life about the resurrection. And I want you to imagine with me, if Peter were here today, wouldn't that be awesome? But if he were, what would he say? What would he communicate? And we can look to First Peter uh, and Second Peter to see, to get a glimpse of what Peter may talk about. Turn with me, the first thing, uh, to 1 Peter chapter 1. I believe the first thing that Peter would say is that we all need salvation. We need Jesus as our Savior, period. Look what it says, verse 3. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth, that salvation, into a living hope, how did that happen? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. If, Jesus, if Peter was here, he would say, look, that new birth, that living hope, it comes through the resurrection of Jesus. And it's even though you may have trials, you may have trouble, Peter's saying, look, you can rejoice in your salvation. Look at verse 8 and 9. It says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your soul. When you receive Christ, there's a joy that is overflowing. There's something that happens. And what's beautiful about salvation is that when you accept Christ, your past becomes your past. Transformation is possible. You are not the same as you once were. God loves you. He not only loves you, He likes you. 
your salvation is secure, and the message of salvation is so important. There's a rejoicing and suffering. You pursue righteousness. You say, why is that message so important? The reality is that we cannot save ourselves. We cannot do it on our own. Let me just take a quick survey. How many of you here have ever lied before? Just show hands. All right. Oh, that's good. That's better than first service. If your hand's not up, if your hand's not up, you just lied. And so get your hand up. And what does the Bible say? If you lie, you are a liar, right? How many have ever stole anything? All right, just raise your hand. Just let it be honest. Even a grape from the grocery store, right? Uh, what does the Bible say? You are a thief, right? Oh, man. How many have ever had a lustful thought? Let's be honest, right? What does the Bible say? You are an adulterer, if that's the case. Now, the last one, you should all raise your hand. Have you ever, not both hands, <laughs> I like that, Mike. Have you ever put anything in your life in front of God at some point? The reality is what the Bible says is you are an idolater, if that's the case. Turn with me just a couple pages in front of 1 Peter to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 kind of describes the reality. It says, For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point, one thing, one lie, one lustful thought, one uh, moment of idolatry, right? And what does it say? For whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. You know what that means? That one sin could keep you from an eternity with Jesus because there's not sin allowed. There's no sin allowed in heaven. And what an incredible truth. And I think that Peter understood this. I think he understood it personally, that salvation was our deepest need. Uh, flip over back to 1 Peter chapter 3, and we see 1 Peter chapter 3. Again, we're talking about Jesus and what he did for us. Look at verse 18. For Christ died for sins once and for all, the righteousness for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in his body, but made alive by the Spirit. When it says that he, was, he died once for all, that means that it never had to be repeated. It goes on to say that Jesus triumphed. And then it shares that Noah also triumphed in a similar fashion. And it's a little confusing to read that. But reality is, is that we tr will triumph as well. We win when we accept Jesus as our personal Savior. That's the good news. That's why we come together. That's why we celebrate Easter. It's salvation, number one. The second thing I think Peter would say is if he joined us this morning, I think that he might say to grow up in your faith. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says this, Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now, I'm going to pause here for a second. I'm not sure when you got saved or what that looked like, but if you got saved last week or five weeks ago or five years or 50 years ago, how many have been saved more than 50 years? I know there's a few of you here. It doesn't matter this verse is for you. It's for me. 
like newborn babies, crave spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Verse 4, you, as you come into him, a living stone rejected by men and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a royal priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God is not finished. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to continue to grow. And that is the, a message that I believe that Peter would talk about on Easter Sunday, to pursue holiness, to be mature, to have a transformation, to not only be justified, that's what happens at salvation, but to be sanctified, that's the process of becoming holy. And so Peter, he writes First and Second Peter, which really is a manual for Christian living. Even when you're persecuted, we should be minimizing our weakness. Peter would say, grow up. Now, some believers, some Christians, they're just bopping along in life, right? They just they get saved and then they they nothing changes, or they they maybe serve God at one point, and all of a sudden they're sliding, slip sliding away, and they they're far away from God again. And what what Peter would say is that that you need to be growing in your faith. Each and every one of us need to be growing in our faith. And because if we're not, we are becoming weak and anemic. If there's no commitment, or if you're not rooted, or if you're not connected with other believers, you're going to be sliding. And if Peter was here, and if he knew you, he may say to you, grow up. The third thing I think Peter would say is because of his story, he would say, stand fast. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 says just that. It says, With the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I've written to you briefly, he's finishing his letter, encouraging you, testifying that this is the true grace of God. And then he says, Stand fast in it. Take this manual and stand firm. Don't be wishy-washy. Stand firm in the faith, in the truth of the resurrection. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, he describes the struggle, and he does in a few different spots, but so then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and to continue to do good. In other words, we know that there's going to be struggle. We know that it's not going to be easy. This life we call Christianity that we're walking out but we cannot afford to give up. And this morning, you may be in the thick of the struggle. You may be struggling in a way that maybe no one even is aware. And this morning, if you feel like you're ready to give up, or there's too much pain and you can't, go, you can't uh, even consider going on, I, the, the Bible would say, Peter would say, I would say, look, stand firm. It's not worth taking your life this week. A fourth student in the Grand Haven School District took their life in the last 13 or 14 months. Four. And I'm saying, God help us that that wouldn't happen again 
that we could cover this community with prayer and that the, the Lord would safeguard our kids. But sometimes it gets really, really hard. The struggle is real. The struggle might be in your situation, the pain that you have experienced, sickness or some sort of physical ailment that just doesn't seem to give up. And I think Peter would say, stand firm. Stand firm. Stand fast in the truth of the resurrection. You may have broken relationships that you think are irreplaceable or irreparable. Maybe husbands and wives are broken and uh, relationships are uh, are going out the door. Listen, the power of the resurrection is here and there's help. Stand firm. You may say, well, it's not worth it. Or you may be some of the guys here, we're studying on men's breakfast, this idea of fighting for the things that are really worth fighting in life. And you're saying, man, I've, I've fought long enough. I'm throwing in the towel, taking the gloves off. And Peter would say, stand firm. Stand your ground. It's worth the fight. You can do it. See, the power of the resurrection, it gives us perspective, doesn't it? It gives us perspective. The truth of the resurrection, the power that it comes with that, affords us a God that is alive and that can minister and can help us no matter where we are. And I don't know where you are this morning, but I believe that God wants to come alongside you and pick you up and help you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, He's here. That that reality is for you today. We sang that song at the end of service, Because He Lives, right? And I mentioned that was from the 1970s. Bill and Gloria Gaither, actually coming out of a crazy winter in 1969. I looked it up this, this past week, the history of that song. It was a tough winter. It headed into 1970. It was particularly hard on Bill and Gloria. Bill was stricken with a severe case of mononucleosis. At the same time, Gloria and some other members of their church family were encountering some painful accusations and belittlement. And so they were under attack. And then at that same time, uh, the story here says that Gloria remembered sitting in her living room on New Year's Eve, thinking across the nation, the educational system was being infiltrated with the God is dead idea, while drug abuse and racial tension was increasing. The older generation felt like the country's best days were behind them, and the baby boomers at the time, the children agreed, and they both felt that each other were to blame. Sound familiar? It was about that time that Bill and Gloria discovered that they had a baby on the way. I think it was their third, if I studied it right. And although it was wonderful news, it also concerned them. Was it really wise to bring a baby into this world? I was thinking about that this week when I read that. I used to ride... Uh, with a guy, uh, ride bikes with a guy in Dayton, Ohio. And it was really a sad story. We'd be riding, and, and several times he would say, I can't believe where this world has gone. He was real political. He, was real, uh, he worked for the Air Force, um, uh, one of the divisions of the Air Force. And he's like, man, this world, why would anybody 
bring a child into this world. And I, and I get what he's saying, but it's kind of what they were grappling with as well. And then the story goes on, the story of the song that one sunny day in the early spring of 1970, Bill and Gloria Gaither's father, George, walked across a paved parking lot uh, where their offices were and called Bill and Gloria's attention to the spot that they had not noticed. He pointed to a tiny blade of grass that had pushed aside layers of dirt, rock, and concrete to reach the sunshine of the world above. It had such a strong will to live, it had overcome all kinds of odds to fulfill its destinies. Just this little blade of grass, if you can imagine. And that blade of grass became a symbol for the Gaithers of how God works in his creation. And it inspired Gloria to write the song expressing the hope that was shaped by what? The resurrection of Jesus as well as the blade of grass and the birth of her son that was to come. I want to read the words of this song, and it'll give you a little perspective, and then we're going to sing this to kind of close our time as we think about this. It says, God sent his son, they called him Jesus. He came to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to pay my pardon. An empty grave is there to prove my Savior lives. Amen? How sweet to hold a newborn baby, see, and feel the pride and joy he gives. But greater still, the calm assurance, this child can face uncertain days because he lives. Because he lives, what? I can face tomorrow, right? Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because he lives, I... And he holds the future. Life is worth the living. Why? Because of the resurrection. Because he lives. He lives. He's alive. And on Easter 2016, March 27th, whether it's the first time you've heard it or you've heard it a hundred times, our Savior, Jesus Christ, he lives. It's the vitality, the hope of our faith. And Jesus, he's at work in us. He works through us. And that's what I believe he's doing this morning. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that in these next few moments that we would experience you in a powerful fashion. Interrupt us this morning by the power of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, help the truth that you are alive ring deep, deep into our hearts and help us to be able to face whatever comes down our way. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing the song together. Because He lives I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know he 
morning as we stand here this morning I want you to take a look inside of your heart and I want to address these three different areas the first one is that peace of salvation if you are here this morning you don't know Jesus as your personal savior and the truth of the word of God has been illuminated in your heart today that the Lord he lives he's a risen savior and he's got the power to save you to clean up your sin and if that interests you today on easter sunday and you're saying i need that salvation peace would you just raise your hand right where where you are i want to pray for you yeah amen who else this morning saying i need salvation today just lift up your hand i want to pray with you i'm not going to embarrass you who this morning yeah amen amen who else this morning to join first service yeah absolutely who else this morning saying, that's where I am today. I need the Lord in my life. For some that have just raised their hand, I know it's a recommitment to the Lord. For others, it may be a first time. Regardless, could we pray a prayer? Anyone else before we pray? Yeah, thank you. Anyone else? Just want to give you that opportunity. Yeah, thank you. Needs to come back to the Lord. Amen. Awesome. Praise God. It needs the Lord. Awesome. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you pray this with me? Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for salvation. Thank you for dying and then raising from the grave. Thank you for coming into my life and taking away my sin. Thank you for salvation. Help me to live for you. Safeguard my life so I can serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, God. Hallelujah. For those of you that raised your hands, I've got a book. It's called The Case for Easter. I've got a three copies left. The first three people that come up after. Uh, we gave away some first service and uh, we, those are yours to take as a gift. And so uh, Jessica has those. You just hang on to those. Oops, they're coming already. All right, here we go. Here, there you go. We got two more copies. We would love to give you. Yeah, Brenda, that'd be awesome. And we got one more, but we want to do that. But the second thing, and I want to really talk to the us. Let's just assume that the rest of us are believers, okay? And I may be wrong. And you can still give your heart to the Lord before you leave, okay? But there's a sense that we need to grow up in the faith. That we don't just get saved and then go on autopilot. We don't just get saved and never come back to church, for example. Or we don't get saved and never learn what God's Word really says. We grow up in our faith. And I'm just curious how many this morning would be honest and say, you know, that's a good word for me. I need to grow up <laughs> in the faith. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to challenge you. We're going to pray here in a moment, but listen, we grow by being together. Worshiping on Sundays, that's great, and we would encourage you. In fact, next Sunday morning is a step of faith uh, of water baptism, and if you are coming to the Lord or if you haven't been water baptized, you need to be here next week. 
Absolutely. And you need to sign up so we know you're coming so we can prepare properly. But listen, water baptism is the first step of obedience. That's the first thing to grow up. So we encourage you to do it. And so we grow up. And Lord, help us all. Amen? Amen. But then there's a third thing. I really want to kind of focus on this. Is that there, because of the resurrection, Paul, our Peter says, stand firm, stand fast. And his life was full of struggle. Trials, tribulations, imprisonment, sickness, shipwrecked. And that's some of your story, isn't it? Some of my story. There are times I, I look at my life and say, man, what in the world is happening? It could seem like the world is spinning around. Lost control. Am I talking to the right people, right? And the struggle is real, right? The relationships, the finances, the job, whatever the case might be, the struggle's real. But listen, the truth of the resurrection brings hope. It it breathes life into your circumstance. No matter where you are, no matter where you are on the journey, no matter whether you've been growing up and uh, in your faith and you're feeling pretty solid, listen, you've got to stand firm. You've got to stand fast. And this morning, I want to pray a final prayer. And no matter what you're facing today, just show of hands, how many are facing something you need, the power of the resurrection in your life? Yeah, lots of hands, yeah, absolutely. Listen, as we pray this closing prayer, I believe that God... He comes alongside and He helps us no matter what we're facing. And so let's just pray. Lord, I thank You that You've caused us to be strong by the power of Your Word. You call us to grow up in our faith, that we're not finished. We haven't arrived. We need to be together. We need to sharpen each other. We need to know Your Word. We need to be baptized. And God, also, You have promised that you never leave us, you never forsake us. In the power of the resurrection, there's truth that you provide a way to face even the darkest days, even the darkest hour. And Lord, whatever we may be facing today, I pray for restoration and for hope to be poured into the lives of those that are here. Pour it into my life, God. I need it. And Lord, I pray that if our life is spinning out of control, God, with addiction or with financial issues, God, I pray that we would surrender to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit would come into our lives and set us straight. Lord, put our feet on a solid path. Lord, help us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray this that Easter 2016, March 27th, would be a remarkable day in our walk with the Lord where we can rest in who you are and we can be confident that you hold the future and because you live, we can face tomorrow. Because you live, all fear is gone and we can know that life is worth living just because you live. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.